This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. The passage I read earlier for you is found in Mark's Gospel. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it up and get it in front of you. Mark 15, we're looking at the first 15 verses as we prepare to come to the table. Three times in this scene, Pilate refers to Jesus as King of the Jews. The repetition begs us to see the scene through the lens of that, of Jesus' kingship. But it's not about people embracing the kingship of Jesus. It's about people rejecting the kingship of Jesus. There are three characters in this story who embody three different ways we participate in the rejection of Jesus as king. Pilate, the chief priests, and the crowd. We're going to look briefly at each one of those three and notice how each demonstrates a different way we today reject the kingship of Christ. And then we're going to conclude by seeing something in this story that is absolutely spectacular. Let's look at it. Rejection method number one, pleasing the crowd. We see this in Pilate. Who's Pilate? Pilate's a Roman prefect. He's a Roman provincial governor who's been sent by the emperor with the unenviable task of ruling this Jewish land. Romans are outnumbered. Nobody wanted them there. And yet this was Rome's jurisdiction. So Pilate lived day in and day out walking a political tightrope. He's got to keep the people placated while at the same time not turning over to them too much control. Difficult line to walk. It had become tradition for Pilate to release to the people a prisoner, a Jewish prisoner of their asking. And so he put two men before them, Jesus and Barabbas. To his surprise, the crowd demands Barabbas be released. This shows you how non-Jewish Pilate was. He made a miscalculation. This is not the answer he thought he'd receive. He himself, as we read earlier, is unconvinced Jesus is deserving of of what he's about to receive. But he's got no choice in the face of a fomented crowd. So wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate releases Barabbas. Now, Pilate is no spiritual seeker. He might be mildly curious about Jesus himself, but Pilate has bigger fish to fry. He's got a political career to advance. He has an empire to serve. He has an emperor to please. His decision to betray the kingship of Christ in order to appease the crowd is not surprising given his background, but it is nonetheless illustrative 
of how we can reject the kingship of Christ. Rather than standing up for the truth of Jesus Christ, we bend to the wishes of the crowd. Human approval becomes God. We want to be liked. And so we say something we shouldn't or we keep silent when we should speak. Beware of the desire to be cool. Pilate lived to please the masses and he'll forever go down in history as a co-conspirator in the death of Jesus Christ. Pleasing the crowd is not the path that leads to living under the kingship of Christ. Now, some people hear this and may abuse it by being jerks and standing up for the truth of Jesus and all he is and did and said. We don't have to be jerks about that. We've been looking in our Sunday mornings at the book of Acts. One of the things that amazes me is how the apostles stood up for truth but did it respectfully. They were most certainly bold when it would have behooved them to respond to interrogations with answers that appease their interrogators, they did not. They didn't shy away from stating the truth clearly. But they never resorted to ad hominem attacks like is so prevalent today. So let's not forget, pleasing the crowd is often rife with trouble. Jesus' words in Matthew 10 are helpful. He says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Rejection method number two, stubborn resistance to the authority of of Christ. This is seen in the chief priests. Now, Pilate knew the chief priests had ulterior motives. He could smell the rat. The text betrays that. The chief priests were quietly working the crowd, stirring them up. As a matter of principle, stirring up the crowd behind the scenes is rarely done for noble purposes. That's a good life lesson to remember. Now, why were they doing that? Pilate perceives it as out of envy they quietly campaign. Now, this definition of envy in 21st century America today has got a bit of a narrow definition. It doesn't fully capture what the chief priests are feeling and thinking about Jesus. The word itself means anger over someone else's success. I think that can be expanded as well. The chief priests not only disliked what Jesus had accomplished and what he was capable of, They didn't like being beholden to him. Jesus had claimed to be the Messiah, and they were not going to bow the knee to him. And so this envy could be broadened out to include a stubborn resistance to the authority of Christ that refuses to give Jesus his due or resists making Jesus one's consuming passion. Popular culture is loaded with stories like this. Oprah Winfrey walked away from Orthodox Christianity when she was about 27 years old because of the biblical teaching that God is jealous. He demands that he and no one else gets our highest allegiance and affection. And in her words, that doesn't sound loving. 
Brad Pitt turned away from his boyhood faith. He says, because God says, quote, you have to say that I'm the best. It seemed to be about ego. C.S. Lewis, before he became a Christian, complained that God's demand to be praised sounded like, quote, a vain woman who wants compliments, end quote. Eric Ries, the writer of an American gospel, rejected the Jesus of the gospels because, quote, only an egomaniac would demand that we love him more than we love our parents and children. And Michael Prowse, the columnist for the London Financial Times, turned away because, quote, only tyrants puffed up with pride crave adulation. We treat Jesus as though he is deserving of no more honor than any other human being we encounter on a daily basis. So when Jesus has the audacity to say, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, well, now he's crossed the line. Then kicks in our stubborn resistance to the authority of Christ that refuses to give Jesus his due. We put limits on how far we're willing to go in our followership of Jesus. I'll go this far, but no farther. (laughs) I've got news for you. That's not how a king-subject relationship works. A subject doesn't set the terms of his or her relationship to a king. Isn't it the other way around? Jesus certainly talks like that. He says, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Sell what you possess, give to the poor, then come follow me. Let the dead bury the dead, you come follow me. These are not contract negotiations. These are commands given to subjects by the rightful king. Beware of falling into the temptation of telling Jesus what you will and won't do. If you want your life to be turned upside down, you say that to him. You tell him what you will and you won't do. Just let me know when you've done that. I'm going to stand back. If Jesus is king, he calls the shots. All of them. Rejection method number three is disappointment, and we see this in the crowd. Now, where am I coming up with that? Well, it has to do with the question that must nag at you as you read this story. What is the nagging question of the story? Why in the world does the crowd demand Barabbas be released and not Jesus? Isn't that the million dollar question? What are they thinking? The answer to that question has everything to do with who Barabbas is. All four gospel writers talk about Barabbas. That's big. There are unique things recorded in every gospel that you may not find in all four of them. So when all four talk about this guy, I think that's significant. And when you piece together all the scraps and bits of information the gospel writers sprinkle in there, here's what we have. Barabbas is not a common criminal but a well-known man with a popular following. In John chapter 18, verse 40, John uses a term to describe Barabbas 
that Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, uses to describe anti-Roman insurrectionists. Barabbas seems to have been the leader of a dissident group, a popular hero among Jewish people who despised Rome's presence in Palestine. Why did the crowd take him? Because Barabbas was a grotesque picture of the Messiah Israel wanted. He was a leading zealot, a political activist. He was a Palestinian Robin Hood sticking it to Rome. He was a man of action. He would even kill for the sake of the cause of purging Rome from Israel's land. In a twisted thinking, some thought he was a patriot. People liked his vitality, his aggression, his manliness. He appealed to the mob. But Jesus disappointed the mob. What a disappointment Jesus was. And so they chose Barabbas' lawlessness over Jesus' righteousness. They chose Barabbas' violence instead of Jesus' love. They chose his war instead of Jesus' peace. And it's still the same today. Revolution is the way. Not a king riding on a donkey. Jesus was so disappointing to them. And so they rejected him. Now, if I follow the thinking of the world, Barabbas is so much more logical than Jesus. He is. But God says what? My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We reject Jesus' kingship because we're disappointed. Disappointed that he doesn't do things the way we think he ought to do them. And I think most of us, if not all of us, would have taken arms with Peter and fight with the sword rather than follow the leader, our rightful king. If we're being honest, there are times when we prefer a political rebel and nationalist hero to the Son of God. There are no shortage of ways in which we reject the kingship of Christ. So what does Jesus do about it? He's rejected at every turn. We do the same. We'd rather please the crowd than stand for truth. We want to limit Jesus' authority, and so we resist his right to call the shots. We grow disillusioned with Jesus because he doesn't do things the way we want them done. We reject his kingship. We've got no shortage of failures. Sin aplenty. So what does he do? The gospel is staring us in the face. You ready? Barabbas' name means son of the father. One manuscript has his surname as Jesus. Two men stand before the crowd, both named Jesus, son of the father. One is the real Jesus, son of the father. The other is not. One rules by taking the lives of others. The other lays down his life for others. One is a guilty man about to go free. The other an innocent man about to be condemned. 
With these two men, we have a perfect picture of the gospel. The just will die for the unjust. Barabbas is released. Jesus is sentenced to death. The guilty goes free. The innocent condemned. To press this point further, two thieves, the two thieves Jesus was crucified between, were more than thieves. Matthew uses the same word to describe them as John does to describe Barabbas. They were, Bar- they were Barabbas' accomplices on death row for their murderous insurrection. The fact that Pilate had three crosses made suggests that his plans were to crucify Barabbas alongside his fellow guerrillas. The guilty goes free, the innocent condemned. So my fellow Barabbases, we come to the Lord's table. It was our bodies that were meant to be broken. It was our blood that should have been poured out. The wrath of God against sin should have been directed at us. But God provided a substitute. Man of sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. What a savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude. In my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a savior. Guilty, vile, and helpless we. Spotless lamb of God was he. Full atonement. Can it be? Hallelujah. What a savior. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven, exalted high. Hallelujah. What a savior. Let's pray. Oh Lord. What we deserved is darker, deeper, more sinister than we can possibly imagine. The story is recorded so we identify ourselves with Barabbas. That's who we are. And yet, Jesus, you tell us you did not lay down your life in our place begrudgingly, but you gave it up willingly. You got what we deserved so that by grace we can get what you deserved. The great exchange. And that's what brings us here tonight. So on the one hand, God, I pray that you would cause us to be plunged deep, looking face to face with our sin and see it. 
but Lord, that you'd lift our chins to look upon the beautiful face of Jesus. Crucified in our place. The innocent condemned, the guilty go free. We take joy in that now. For the glory of Jesus. Amen.